Welcome to Supplier Experience Live from Hicks, where we explore all the latest topics, trends, and discussion points in the world of procurement, procurement technology, and supplier experience management. My name is Duncan Clark, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're heading to Egham to speak with Dave Food. Dave works as Strategy Director at Prophetic Technology and is a Principal Lecturer at WMG at the University of Warwick with an expertise that covers supply chain, logistics, analytics and marketing and innovation. Dave's interests are wide ranging, spanning areas including blockchain, big data, AI, drones, machine learning and 3D printing. So a lot to dive into here. Welcome, Dave, to the podcast. Thank you very much. So there's lots going on. Um, so my first question is, could you tell us a bit more about your background and what's been keeping you busy recently? Uh, well, my background is, uh, in some sense, is a bit of reluctance. I fell into supply chain. Um, I was a teacher um, and wanted to work for a, com- uh, a charity called Oxfam and applied for a number of jobs with Oxfam. They didn't even get to interview. So consequently, I said to them, what kind of skills are you looking for? And they said supply chain. So I got a job in supply chain and I've stayed in supply chain ever since. Um, and as a consequence of that, in sharing that both with practitioners, uh, with software houses, taking solutions to market and then becoming a bit more of an analyst and helping people to develop solutions in these spaces, I've kind of stepped into becoming a reluctant academic in the sense that I share this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm not a natural academic. I just work in the space of wanting to share great new ideas with the, the managers and thought leaders of tomorrow. So that, that, that's a bit about me. Um, what I've been working on more recently would probably be three areas. One would be I've always got research going on and currently hot topics would be visibility as a result of COVID, but having visibility into the supply chain. Uh, The power of analytics is certainly an area that is something that's been of interest both to uh, academics, companies I'm working with and thought leaders, trying to understand how those, uh, how the analytics can help to drive innovative thinking, but also insight into the supply chain. So visibility will be one area of research and exploration. Automation will be another area, whether that's called supply chain 4.0 or whether it's now becoming supply chain 5.0 we can explore later on if we want to as part of the conversation but certainly starting to look at saying okay what can be automated and where um, how can that bring insight advantage competitive advantage to you as a business or as a supply chain and what might the future supply chains look like as a consequence of automating some of these things um, certainly, uh, my, one of my sub agendas uh, uh, would be um, COVID has certainly kind of shaken the tree and people are now saying, OK, can we pull the levers in some different ways that we never thought of before? So I, I guess that so that's research. I'm doing teaching on this kind of thing. And then a couple of projects that I've got running at the moment, one would be the area of blockchain and whether blockchain in terms of sharing data in a more um collaborative way is something of the future and then driving the uh, visibility question would be the internet of things particularly so starting to capture data points that were never possible before Um, and what does that mean for future decisions so those are some of the things that have been keeping me active over the last few weeks and months 
Brilliant. Certainly lots going on there. Now, you describe yourself as a reluctant academic, but also as a supply chain futurologist. Could you explain a little bit more about what that means for you? Well, what that means to me is I'm always looking into the future. I'm very comfortable talking two, three, five years ahead. Ten years is probably too far in the current climate, but certainly um, what the future might look like. Uh, you know, just let me give you something that's not supply chain at all. Yeah, um, with the um, biological capabilities that we're now having with new hearts, new hips, new, you know, our, our, our longevity is going up. What does that mean for our future in terms of what what, what life looks like? Is there possibly somebody who's going to live till 150? You know, you know those kind of things. What does that mean? What does that look like from a quality of life point of view? So very comfortable exploring the juxtaposition of two or three unlikely uh, bedfellows to explore the art of the powerful possibility. Um, but that also then leads to I don't, I don't want to talk, just talk pie in the sky. I want it to be reality. Um, so if you're familiar with Crossing the Chasm and Jeffrey Moore, who talks about uh, early adopters and innovators, but then the later adopters, helping people to take their solutions to help to cross that chasm, i.e. industrialise it, or helping people to see how it might apply to them in their industries is the kind of space that I'm working in in terms of futurology. So I might summarise it as something like touching tomorrow today by using you know, new technology now, not not waiting and waiting for someone to develop it. So uh, an example might be drones. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the web now about drones being used in lots of very clever and different ways. So, for example, blood deliveries in Rwanda, where with the, the most sophisticated 4G network in Africa, they're able to leverage that technology and be able to deliver materials um, in a very cost effective and efficient way. Um, and then we hear Amazon talking about drone deliveries um, you know, in, in, in America or even Uber doing drone deliveries in cities around the world. But for me, my, my kind of futurology would be to say, OK, we see the ideas around drones being a, a conf, conf, convergence of uh, weight and battery life. And so the heavier the battery, the further it can, the bigger the battery, the heavier it is. And there's that kind of U-shaped curve about the optimal delivery because lift is an issue. So I'm currently involved in a research project um, in Canada where they're looking at using a combination of drones and balloons to actually better deliver a pallet to a remote community. So you've got the lift of the balloon, you've got the automation of the drone, combine those two things together. And now you've got something that's a, a bit more compelling and a bit more interesting. That's the kind of futurology I, I'm involved in. Brilliant. And you mentioned crossing the chasm, which you'll be pleased to know that's standard stock reading list for us here as well. So we're on familiar territory there. Um, from powerful possibility then to today, as you mentioned, now I saw in a recent blog post on prophetic technology that you mentioned that supply chain uh, digitization was falling behind other industries in the field. What do you think are some of the reasons why that's the case? Um, I think um, the quality of the data, because typically supply chain is about uh, players sharing data together and that data is moving through the supply chain. So if we think about something like uh, a term elastic logistics where companies are selling products they do not have in their warehouse 
So they're selling it, you know, they're, they're making, they're taking their suppliers catalog, putting it on the, their website and making those products available to their customers. But then when the order is placed, it's it's passed through straight through to the supplier and the supplier and their logistics partner deliver it on your behalf. You know, so suddenly we've got the concept of elastic catalogs, elastic warehouses, elastic logistics capability. Um, then necessarily that data is coming from somebody's catalog through your systems to the customer. And so there's there tends to be a very fast flow of rubbish data. You know, maybe it's the size of the package, maybe it's the weight of the package, but uh, because you never physically see that, you never understand that actually that's an issue until um, it gets stopped on customs clearance. And somebody says, this, this, pro this product is heavier than it was declared. Um, and consequently, there are delays in supply chain. And so the dirtiness of the data and the fact that it's being shared at speed um, means that um, there are checks and balances that need to be put in place to help to improve that um, data sharing and that data capability. I think the other area is just um, the complexity of the combination of that data. So we are trying to give our customers a fully flexible response they when they want it where they want it at the price they want to pay and probably with a bundled set of services associated with that and so consequently the order is almost built in the supply chain if you think for example um buying a car um the options that you now put when you buy a car are much more now part of the configurability into the supply chain and so consequently they push right up to the supplier in terms of unit um, and as supply chains have become thinner as um, they become leaner and more dynamic um, there is less fat in the supply chains um, to flex um, and make changes through the supply chain. So consequently, it's about the order tagging all the way back, sometimes to the supplier and in extreme cases to the supplier's supplier, which means all that data needs to be synchronized. And, um, and it, then we work into the spaces of concurrency. So concurrency means, okay, so the data that I've got on my system, how does that synchronize with the data that's coming from my supplier? And when I, I'm not talking about batches of days now or even hours, I'm talking about batches of, 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 of minutes. You know, so when, when a delivery has happened to your warehouse, at what point does that delivery arrive into your warehouse electronically? And at what point, at what point does it get netted off um, the materials that are still on order? That, that, that concurrency is a very complex area that as we accelerate things and as we get to a greater granularity means there is an important dimension of digitization. And you've sort of preempted my next question actually, which I was going to ask around the, this whole question of data. Uh, and we certainly see that one of the, the biggest obstacles that is mentioned is that lack of good good data, good quality data. What therefore can or should be done, do, do you think, in this area? I, I think there's a lot of different um, policies that pe or processes that people can put in place. The first thing is that everybody owns the data. So um, when you see an error or when you don't just brush it off, make sure that you've passed it back into the business so that that, that data is cleansed. And so everybody owns 
the gradual improvement of the data. I mean, companies like Amazon, companies like Alibaba, they're data-driven companies. Um, you know, when I was formerly a supply chain director of other companies in the past, I would typically come and join a company and I would pull out of my rucksack of experience, in my experience, this is what I would do in this situation. With data-driven supply chains, that's no longer a valid uh, discussion. I can't go in my experience because people will say, well, what does the data say? So my experience now needs to drive me to data to then go and look at the data and see what the data is saying. So if I expect that maybe there's a disconnect on the inbound logistics on, on the docking location and I expect there's a delay and a pause and a problem there, I'd go and look at that and then pull from the data uh, that insight. And so consequently, um, ownership within the business, but then shared ownership beyond the business. So once we... Uh, Martin Christopher made a great quote, which I still think is relevant today. Martin Christopher being a, a former professor of supply chain from Cranfield University. Um, he made a statement that it, companies no longer compete on products and prices. They compete on supply chains and services. Um, and and that, that's become such a, a wealth of a, a discussion in terms of, for example, returns. You know, before you buy something, one of the first things you look at is um, how, how could I return this? And the speed and the effectiveness and the fruitfulness of that returns process is actually all a supply chain function. So, um, and again, that all flows back into the data because you then get into the granularity of data of, for example, promising. Um, if you're going to look on a store to place an order, now, however that's going to get delivered to you, the data accuracy of the inventory in that warehouse needs to be as near real time as possible. Otherwise, you are committing inventory that has already been sold to somebody else. And given, as you mentioned, that the competition is around supply chain and, and services today, and earlier on, you mentioned the term supply chain 4.0. I know this is somewhat of a big question, but what do you think will be some of the key technologies that will impact supply chain and procurement moving forward? Well, I, th I think firstly, sources of data. So the Internet of Things, the ability, you know, wh whether it's you wearing a Fitbit and therefore understanding um, where you are, um, location based data. You know, we've got so many more uh, ways of gathering, not just the demand signal and not just the supply signal, but where that demand signal is happening and um, the granularity of you know, minutes or maybe even below the minute once you get onto websites. Uh, if you think about something like a Black Friday for a retailer, um, the speed of orders as they're coming in is being watched by the minute um, to make sure that they're not under or over promising to their customers. Um, from the point of view of, uh, so, so that's the data gathering points and the granularity, um, then what you do with that data, how you assemble that data in intelligent ways. So people talk about big data, but maybe we ought to be talking about giant data now, where you are combining on a, on a pivot point various different data sets. So uh, consumption data by location based upon the current weather. You know, for example, if I was a retail store owner, when should I put umbrellas, if I sell umbrellas, at the front of the store? Putting them at the front of the store when it's already raining is too late. Putting them at the front of the store 
20 minutes before it's raining is absolutely right. Now, you've already got apps that can tell you, OK, I will give you a warning when rain is likely to arrive. I can give you a 10 minute warning so you can go out into your garden and take your washing in. Well, OK, wouldn't that be a useful indicator to a, uh, a store owner to put the umbrellas at the front of the store? Um, so that, 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 that's the kind of behavioural stuff that comes into those data points. But then when we start to combine this giant data in ways that then says, OK, let's compare supply and demand. And, and, and if we want to go into a dangerous place, which might be pricing optimization, which might be what's the right price for something, you know, um, the right price when you really need something is, well, I really need it, so I'll pay whatever. And that's great for the supplier because they get great profitability and you get what you need when you want it. Um, but actually, if demand is down and sales are down, then consequently you get a discounted price because sales are slow. Uh, and you know, this, is a, this is an area that lots of companies are exploring the juxtaposition of the right price. So remember I talked about the right product, the right place at the right time for delivery. Then we bring another P into it, the right price. And suddenly we've got a four or even five dimensional Rubik's cube of optimization going on here that helps to then say, okay, what is the right decision for the supply chain? And then we get into data analysis that now needs to be automated and exception driven. So we're using tools like machine learning, artificial intelligence, exception management to help to drive through that data cube and that data lake to uh, give informed decisions to human beings. Because I don't think it's always about automating everything. I think it's about automating the boring things and the things that can be automated so that we can get on with the creative things that currently machines can't do. So I think that's probably covered a number of dimensions there. I don't know if we've covered all of them, but uh, probably enough for now. Absolutely. And um, I was thinking actually around procurement analytics. So you mentioned an, um, analytics there more generally and supply chain analytics. Is there a field such as procurement analytics as a subset of that? Is it one of the same or and if so, what's its role? Okay, um, it's, it's a bigger question than than just around analytics. The first thing is, you know you might say is is procurement part of supply chain, uh, and we won't go into that debate. But let me just explore. Okay, if procurement buying in batches, trying to buy at minimum price, is part of a driver that then drives supply chain behaviour, then procurement definitely needs to be connected to supply chain in intelligent ways. In which case, the analytics that belong in supply chain are also analytics that belong in procurement. So how much do we buy and when? Um, what opportunities do we have to uh, uh, do cost optimization in terms of spend analysis? Um, what opportunities do we have to uh, increase frequency of delivery. There's a great trade-off between supply chain and procurement in terms of obviously suppliers would like to supply in bigger batches, but then the supplier wants to buy at lower prices. So we buy in bigger batches at lower prices, but that means you need more warehouse space when the delivery happens, because and and so because um, obviously they're being delivered in full truckloads or containers, and so the right. For me, it's about smoothing the flow. And that's where you start to get into understanding where buffers are built into your supply chain, where there is uncertainty.
buffers are there to protect against uncertainty, uncertainty of supply, uncertainty of demand, uncertainty of quality. And so consequently, uh, there's a trade-off between where you have those buffers. Those buffers are not always inventory. They might be buffers of manufacturing capacity or suppliers capacity or delaying demand signals. All of those things allow um, a flexing of the flow through the supply chain. And as a consequence, the analytics that sit criteria are used to make those decisions, whether that's price, whether that's uh, flexibility, whether that's responsiveness or customer choice. All of those may be dimensions that are built into the analytical decision. So let's, let's land this as, as a kind of I'm talking very theoretical here. Let's land this as an example. Um, behavior. So uh, we, we now have the ability to be able to track and trace where your car is. And as a consequence, um, we could we, we can, you know, there are already insurance companies that are offering uh, capabilities that say you can have a cheaper insurance policy because if you promise to drive as a younger driver in more reasonable hours at reasonable speeds, then we you know, we will have evidence of that. And as a consequence, we can give you a cheaper policy. Or um, if you were willing to wear a Fitbit and commit to drive a certain healthy lifestyle, we can offer you a lower life insurance. But now extrapolate that into supply chain and say, okay, now we can understand the quality of the product, um, um, imagine, for example, um, strawberries being delivered to market or tomatoes on the vine or bananas being ripened on the journey. You can contain the you can adjust the environment of those products and therefore you can fine tune the ripeness of those products depending on the demand signal that's going on. So it's a very sunny couple of weeks in June and July. Wimbledon is really happening. Consequently, the strawberries that we were growing in the field are going to need to be accelerated quicker to a ripening stage than we had originally planned. That's about picking. That's about what you've already planted. But it's also about the ripening process and the speed to market. And all of this becomes part of uh, both driving procurement and supply chain. Um, to, to make better decisions. So going back to your question then, which was uh, what, how do analytics play in this space? I, I, I think analytics are powerfully useful to give insight into the joined up behavior between suppliers, procurement, supply chain and consumers. And just picking on that point, because a lot of the examples that you mentioned there are around operational efficiency and getting things to customers. And I also wondered, is there a role here also for that ecosystem that you mentioned? So su uh, suppliers and manufacturers or suppliers and brands working together. Is there a role, do you think, for analytics in the space of relationships, partnerships, collaboration, that kind of activity? There, there has been, uh, in projects I've been involved in, there's been a strong consensus to start to try and standardise, you know, supplier scorecarding uh, using score models you know, supply chain optimization models um, to help to try and agree what measures you are going to use, because at least you're then talking on the, looking through the same lens. So therefore, um, and when you get into areas like consignment stock and vendor managed inventory, uh, you want to talk about the quality of the stock, the reliability of the stock, uh, the um, shelf life of that stock. So therefore, what needs to be done? Um, and, and as a consequence, um, collaborating beyond the enterprise with your supply chain becomes a key driver. 
And uh, I, I think if we want to, if we want to make some real, let, let me kind of step into some real future thinking here. You know, people are talking about the circular economy. Who do I really need to own something to be able to use it? Do I just need access to it when I need to use it? Um, what's the quality of the product when I want to use it? Um, are there ways where we can reduce consumption? and bring the sustainability question in here. Are there ways we can reduce consumption and therefore reduce waste by having some different ownership models and different sharing models? Well, that moves into supply chain thinking, that moves into uh, outsourcing, right sourcing, nearshoring, all of those kind of um, terms that we probably haven't got time to touch upon today. And you mentioned there the circular economy, and of course this impacts things like business models as well. But I was wondering, uh, from a technology or from a business model perspective, indeed, what does the future hold? Are there any other notable major trends that we haven't touched upon in this discussion yet? Uh, well, we haven't really touched upon 3D printing. Um, and that's one that I, I certainly think um, as we digitize our supply chains, just just, um, just as a model, but not not as an example, just think about how Moonpig, who, 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 who provided cards online, you know, and it originally started with just providing a standard set of cards to now you can design your own card to now they're sending reminders to you to 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 prepare your card. So, you know, and, and you don't even touch the card, you can even sign it remotely and make it look like your signature but the, it all gets delivered on your behalf or something like netflix or itunes where it was went from the lp to the cd or lp to the tape to the cd to in the cloud to now streaming services well what would that look like from a point of view where we could digitize our supply chains so imagine something like um and, and, and you know, 3D printing is not a lean process. It's not a discounted process. It's an expensive process. But if it's useful to have variety and choice, you know, let, let's just let's just take for example the coffee mug that I'm 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 drinking out of now. Let's say I wanted to send a personalised mug to somebody. Well, that ability to be able to print a plastic mug in a printer which had a, a completely personalised design would be something that might be compelling and interesting. Um, so three, but, but then you get into the areas of, okay, what about the quality of it? Who owns the quality? Who's responsible for the legal case status of that mug? Let's say the handle fell off that mug. Who would be responsible for that? Is a whole area of complexity we haven't yet developed the legalities around yet. That's still coming. So th 3D printing would be one particular area that I would, would highlight. Um, and, th and then just the, the automation, um, automating automating decisions, whether that's, um, imagine a chatbot, imagine we, we've already got the ability now to ask Amazon or Siri or Google or whichever your preferred vendor is, uh, where's my order? Uh, you know, and we can get that kind of stuff. Well, I, I would get, we'll, we'll step into prescriptive and predictive analytics that will say, here's my rec, here's the shopping list that I think you need. Now, that logically works at, at yours and my level when we're about to go to Tesco's or about we don't have to go to Tesco's anymore, especially with COVID. You know, that's driven th that away. So consequently, so more, many more people are comfortable with having home deliveries and ordering online. But rather than create that order, why not suggest that order? Well, OK, if that's true for a B2C space. Why isn't it also true in a B2B space? 
that actually the recommended order could be driven out of some kind of artificial intelligence looking on the behavior. Um, and, and then, okay, uh, load building. So then, okay, what's the priority? I mean, many, many companies now have got rid of a lot of their inventory because they're getting more flexible deliveries. And then, okay, if that flexible delivery is now coming, then why not make it more collaborative? So instead of one lorry coming from one supplier, why doesn't it come from 10 suppliers? Uh, let me kind of land this with one simple example, which is probably relevant to everybody who's on the call today, um, is that think about in COVID, I don't know how many times somebody walks up your drive making a delivery to your front door. Five, ten times a day, possibly, who knows? Um, well, wouldn't it be so much better and so much greener if that could be consolidated somewhere and I just get two deliveries a day? Um, you know, uh, and so that consolidation collaboration at, at lots of different levels will make the world uh, a healthier, happier place. Um, will uh, probably speed things up generally for everybody and will also mean we don't have to worry so much about being in all the time for that delivery to happen. So I'm sure will be music to many people's ears. Well, look, as you said, so many topics we could dive into there, probably all podcasts and beyond in, in their own right. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people will want to continue the conversation with you. So my final question is, what's next for you? What's on your agenda? And if people want to connect, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm I, I'm very passionate about social media. So you'll find me, Dave Food, or my company, Prophetic Technology, very visible on social media and social media platforms. Use any of those and, and connect with us. Um, uh, my email address is out there, so please... Uh, if you find various different email addresses, they're all valid and they're all being used. Um, so please con connect in any way. Um, I'd lo I love to continue the conversation. One of my favorite phrases, which I think is probably a good close out for today, is please ask me because if I can't help you, I know someone who can. And I, I, I've, I've, I, I guess it's part of, uh, part of what I do and what our, we do as a business is we'll introduce people and then step away. Uh, you know, and that might be a use of a technology that might be just an introduction of saying, here's someone I think you ought to be talking to. And some of the, uh, the, the greatest areas of satisfaction for me as a professional have been somebody coming back a year or two years later saying, Dave, thanks for that introduction. We're now doing this together. And I think I had a tiny part to play in that. Absolutely. Those connections, absolutely key. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for joining us today. It was a pleasure to speak to you and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please don't forget to hit the like or subscribe button. Or for more information about us, visit our website, www.pix.com.